The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play near the cobra's den. Young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning we have praised you as the rock of ages, standing strong, standing firm, and declared that we will rest in your faithfulness. Father, as we approach your word, we, make, we pray that you would make that true of us, that we would rest in the truthfulness of your word, knowing that every promise made is a promise kept. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So two Thursdays ago, I was coming back from, from Denver, from a conference that I had attended, and was in the Indianapolis airport walking from my gate down to the uh, shuttle where I would go back to my car. Uh, as I was walking down that, that hallway, that terminal there, I saw a sign that took me back a little bit, and I thought I should take a picture of this. But it was 12.30 in the morning, and I still had to catch a shuttle and drive back to Bloomington, and I was like, nah, just keep going. I wish I had taken a picture of it, because it stuck with me, and the, the sign was a, a, an advertisement for a biomedical company, and it said, in science, we have hope. And I thought to myself, even just walking by at 12.30 in the morning, Wow. Do we really still believe that? Now, don't get me wrong. I love science. Science gives us great insight into God's creation. I believe that through science, we can improve life, right? Science has given us wonderful breakthroughs in medicines and vaccines that prevent and treat diseases. Science has given us better, more efficient cars that don't break down as often. Science has led to the development of these kind of great devices, right? Which I can use to keep track and keep tabs on my family, though they're hundreds of miles away. And see what my friends from high school had for lunch yesterday, you know? But that same technology that lets me call my mom and keep tabs on my high school friends is also used to 
spread lies and hate and divisiveness. The same technology that leads to better cars, the same scientific innovations that leads to more fuel-efficient vehicles also is used to create more powerful weapons of warfare. And scientific breakthroughs in the medical community often are used towards unethical ends. Now, this sermon, I promise you, is not a downer. I've had that the last couple of times. Disease and death were my last two topics. This is hope, okay? But our hope isn't in science. Our hope isn't in politics or the passing of new legislation. Our hope isn't in psychiatry. Our hope, the world's hope, is and always has been in the advent of God's Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ, Jesus our Lord. And that's the text for this morning. This morning I want to explore with you what Isaiah says about the source and the scope of our hope. My phone is in the wrong pocket now and it feels weird. Okay, there we go. The source and the scope of our hope. Isaiah begins by pointing us, focusing our hope on the Messiah and his reign. Let me read the verses again that started this passage because it was at the very beginning of the service. You may have forgotten them. Isaiah says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This chapter is a hope-filled chapter. But the opening verse is filled with language that is honestly a bit bleak. Isaiah is referring to a stump. Throughout the book of Isaiah, Israel has been pictured as you know, a forest that is being clear-cut because of their sin and covenant-breaking. God is calling in Assyria, a foreign nation. They will come in and they will swing the axe and they will fell Israel so that nothing is left but stumps. And then in chapter 10... God says, I myself will swing the axe and level Assyria. So in the book of Isaiah, there's lots of stumpage. The image that comes to mind as I think of this is from the Lord of the Rings. When Treebeard is walking, carrying Merry and Pippin, and he comes to what should be Fanghorn Forest, but it's just a clear-cut valley of stumps and he says oh these used to be my friends I knew Isaiah is looking at a clear cut valley of stumps and says this used to be the tribes of Israel this used to be God's people and now there's stumps but he focuses our attention on one stump and interestingly it's not the stump of David, which is what you would expect. It's the stump of Jesse. Isaiah does this to bring to mind not the glories of the royal throne, 
But David's humble beginnings. J. Vernon McGee, a commentator, said that Jesse was a farmer, a sheep herder, who lived in a backwater, little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. By the time of Jesus, the line of David had sunk back to the level of peasant. Messiah would not be raised as a prince in a palace, not with a silver spoon in his mouth, but one born in a manger, raised in a carpenter's shop. From this stump of Jesse, a shoot comes up. And this shoot grows into a branch, grows into a full fruit-bearing tree. A tree that will bear fruit comes from this stump of Jesse. Two years ago, I cut down a, a bush in the corner of our lot. I hated that bush. It was just gnarly, and it tangled you up every time you mowed the lawn, and it was just a mess, and just cut it down. Did a good job with an axe and a shovel of getting that stump out of the ground. And still, things are springing up from the roots, way out from the center of what was that little bush. Well, big gnarly bush, but that's the image. This springer, this sprout comes up from what is left, the root, the stump, but it grows to a full fruit-bearing tree. Now in the Bible, when you hear fruit-bearing, what comes to mind? The Spirit, right? Especially if you've been in the ladies' ACG, the fruit of the Spirit. And Isaiah transitions just seamlessly from talking about this fruit-bearing tree to the Spirit. And he says, the Spirit will rest upon him. Now that in and of itself is not overly revolutionary. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit coming to rest on people like Moses and Joshua, men who were tasked with great things for the Lord, and the Spirit comes and empowers them to do them. And the judges, people like Deborah, Gideon, Samson, the Spirit comes upon them and enables them to do their job. And the kings and the prophets are said to have the Spirit bestowed upon them. Even artists are given the Spirit to do their task. But what is unique about how Isaiah portrays this, it's not just the Spirit touching this person, coming upon this root or this shoot from the stump of Jesse to perform a task. The way he portrays this is this, this Messiah will be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This Messiah will be filled with the Spirit. The Gospel writers, they make this connection for us. It wasn't just in this task that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, but his whole life was Spirit-filled. From conception, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And as he was getting ready to step out into his public ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And the Spirit descends visibly upon him in the form of a dove. And then from there, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness so that he can be tempted and withstand those temptations on behalf of us, his people. And he comes back from the wilderness filled with the power of the Spirit. And it is in the power of the Spirit that he heals, that he casts out demons, and that he preaches. And then, one of the greatest gifts he gives is he bestows the Spirit. He is so full of the Spirit, he can give it. And he gives it to us. So the source of our hope is Messiah. Comes from humble origins. His qualifications are that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah moves on to talk about the nature of his reign. Messiah reigns. And his reign is characterized by a delight in the fear of the Lord. Those two things don't seem to go together in our mind. Delight and fear. But Messiah will delight in the fear of the Lord. Meaning he he obeys and upholds God's commands. We know full well from the Gospels that there was no sin in Jesus. He delighted in God's laws. He upheld God's laws. And in his kingdom, under his reign, he upholds God's commands, including blessing those who keep it and punishing those who do not. At that same conference that I referred to a bit ago, out in Denver, I went to some really great sessions on the nature of faith, on biblical worship, on the significance of tattoos, just, it's all over the place. One of the sessions I went to was by a Biola professor. And the title of the session was Human Dignity, Rights, and Essences. John Rawls' Critical Race Theory and the New Dignity Jurisprudence. The room was filled with philosophy professors, philosophy students, and at least one hack. Now, it never happens to me that I'm sitting in a room and I think... I am the coolest person here, (laughs) but telling you, that actually might be overstanding it. I'm the least nerdy person in that room, okay? My takeaway from that session was that everyone wants justice, and no one is quite sure how to get it. We're hoping for, we're we're longing for justice, and that's good. That's an echo of the Imago Dei in us. But we are limited by our creatureliness, by our finitude, by our sin, and by systems that are broken. We long for justice. We crave it. We strive for it. And our hope is in Messiah, who will establish his kingdom in perfect justice and righteousness. 
in the American system of government, we're used to a separation of powers, right? Judicial branch, legislative branch, executive branch. Those distinctions fall apart when you're talking about Jesus. He is both lawgiver, judge, and king all at once, who delights in God's law. He is not limited by what he sees or hears. Isaiah says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide with what he, by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He's not limited by what he sees or hears. There's no he said, she said. He sees to the heart and he judges righteously. Isaiah says righteousness is his belt. The thing that holds it all together is his righteousness. And the poor and the needy are not rolled over by processes favoring those with their hands on the levers of power or with deep pockets. He brings justice. But notice the advent of Jesus The advent of Messiah is a double-sided coin. For those who are made righteous, God with us is good news. God with us is the gospel. But God with us is terrifying news for the unrepentant sinner. Isaiah says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Brings to mind Revelation 19, where the rider on the white horse, with the word of God, the sword that is coming from his mouth, lays waste to his enemies. So our hope, with the advent of the Messiah, is that good will triumph, and those who do good will flourish, and evil will be destroyed, and those who do evil will perish. As the Messiah establishes his kingdom, he brings back the remnant that has been scattered. Isaiah says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as the banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious in that day. The Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. He brings his people back. He stands as as a banner saying, come back, come back. It's interesting in Isaiah chapter 5, God says he's waving the banner and he's calling Assyria, come. Come and wage war on Israel. Come and Lay waste to them. Be instruments of my judgment. But now it is calling his people back. Let my people return. John Calvin, commenting on this passage, said, We see, therefore, that to the wretched and almost ruined Jews, consolation was held out in Messiah alone, and that their hope was held in suspense until he appeared. You know, that is similar to the church. In most places and in most times. Stretch that. 
in all places and all times. You could go back to Calvin's quote and replace the word Jews with the word church. To the wretched and almost ruined church, consolation is held out in Messiah alone. In times of peace and prosperity and security, it's easy to get distracted from that one and only hope that we have, which is Jesus and his return. Our hope is in Messiah. Everything else we hope in is penultimate, provisional, temporary, and fading. The source of our hope is the Messiah of God, Jesus our Lord. But what about the scope of the hope? How far does this hope reach? Well, to quote Isaac Watts in maybe the best Christmas carol, it reaches as far as the curse is found. The scope is is cosmic. The hope that Messiah brings is a hope for the whole created order. I don't consider myself a a well-traveled person. Never been to Europe, never been to Africa, but I've been to some of the coolest places on earth. I've been to Hawaii, been to Fiji, been to Bolivia. Here's what I know. Nature is stunning. It is beautiful. And it wants to kill you. (laughs) I was in Hawaii, and I thought, you know what? I'll try surfing. And I almost got murdered by some local surfers that were mad that I cut them off, rightfully so. I was in Fiji and swimming in some of the most beautiful, purest water I've ever seen. And I can't help but hearing, da-dun, da-dun. I'd been warned about the tiger sharks. And in Bolivia, I hiked through jungle to a cliff to watch the sun rise over the canopy. And it is unbelievable. And of course, the guide says, be careful of snakes. Last week in Rocky Mountain National Park, I didn't hike more than a half mile in any direction because I didn't bring a winter coat. And I was hiking in my canvas Chuck Taylors. I was fearful of frostbite and hypothermia and didn't want to die. No fear of that when Messiah restores everything. The wolf lays down with the lamb. The lion with the calf. The child plays next to the cobra's den. Isaiah says, none. None shall harm on my holy mountain. There's no fear from nature. No predation, no deprivation, no corruption, no pollution. None of it. Restored to perfection. That's what Bob spoke on last week. New heavens and new earth. Zoom in from the cosmic to the corporate. And this is a hope that Isaiah is speaking of for the people of God. Messiah comes to be king over God's people. King over us. 
Well, this passage does mention the nations, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious, it says. I think the image that we're meant to picture here is like the Exodus, when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, we're told that a mixed multitude that weren't Hebrews joined them. They said, we see what God is doing for you. We want a part of that. We want to go with you. And as God's Messiah raises the banner and brings his people back to him, others will say, we want to go too. We want to be a part of that. God brings his people back, delivers them from their enemies, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, what. Whatever their enemy is, God brings them back from them, gives them vindication and victory. And He heals them from within also. Verse 11, he says, Isaiah says, He will raise a banner for the nations, gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim, Israel, Her jealousy will vanish. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah. And Judah will no longer be hostile to Ephraim. Those were two uh, portions of God's people dating back to the time of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Israel had been rent in two. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and Judah, the southern kingdom, the two tribes, had been hostile with one another though they were seed of abraham together god's covenant people they had been split in two and hostile to each other and messiah comes and heals that breach what had been torn apart by the sin of david's son is healed by david's greater son The division of Israel into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom uh, was a stain, in essence, on, on God's reputation that God could not let stand. It was a, a smear on his name that God's people were divided. And that's true of the church, too. One of my favorite theologians of the 19th century, John Williamson Nevin, said it is a vast practical embarrassment how divided the church of Christ is. When Messiah comes again, all those divisions, all those petty squabbles, all those sins that breach relationship are erased and purified and there is one pure holy bride. From a cosmic hope to a corporate hope, to a very personal hope. Hope isn't just for the world. It's not just for the church. It's for you, too. Author Fleming Rutledge said that Advent, Advent is the season that when properly understood does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us as part of this world. Advent begins in the darkness and moves towards the light. And it's easy to think about the darkness that is in our world, but think instead of your own personal darkness. 
How has sin brought darkness into your life? How has sin brought brokenness that needs healing? Messiah brings hope for that also. Maybe it looks in your life like personal kind of disintegration where you you feel at war with yourself and anxiety or, or fear. Maybe in your life it, it, that darkness looks like oppression from spiritual forces or oppression from worldly systems. Maybe it just looks like unfulfilled dreams or expectations or a, a hollowness. Maybe it looks like being left out or isolated or overwhelming loneliness. Maybe it's battling against a a hounding sin that will not, seemingly will not let you go, or an addiction. Messiah comes to bring hope, to shine light into that darkness too. Charles Spurgeon said, It is not hard for the Lord to turn night into day. He that sends the clouds can easily clear the skies. Let us be of good cheer. It is better farther on. Let us sing hallelujah by anticipation. That's hope. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, Dan, I, I don't feel very hopeful. I feel the darkness is overwhelming. I feel the sin just can't be broken. I feel... Let me ask you, have you ever been wrong in your feelings before? Have they ever led you astray? Of course. Second question, has God ever been wrong? Has God ever lied? Has God ever reneged on a promise? No, of course not. Then lean, lean, rest on what has never failed, what has never erred. God, His Word, and His promises. He gives hope. Messiah will come. Advent reminds me a little bit of telling my kids we're going to Disney World. There's that initial excitement. We're going to Disney World. You go and you look up all the rides and you figure out what you want to do and then you realize, oh, it's six months away. You wait. And then there's the, the loading up the van and the driving the 16 or 18 hours. And there's hope, but it's a a muted hope. That's where we're at. We know where we're going, but we're in the midst of a long journey. If I'm honest right now, it's feeling like we're going through the traffic of Atlanta (laughs) and all the road rage that goes with it. But we're getting closer. I know that we are nearer now than when we first believed. Nearer to the dawning of that, the, the culmination of that God-promised hope. And we can live in light of that. Would you pray with me?
Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful that in the midst of this darkness that is our world, that is our own hearts at times, light shines. We quite literally can see the light at the end of the tunnel because of your word and your promises. We pray that your spirit would impress those on our hearts, not just our minds, on our hearts, and help us to will to live in light of those promises, in light of that hope. In Jesus' precious name, amen.